So who remembers what I preached on last week? Who needs to repent because they're lying? Nobody remembers what I preached last week. Oh, okay. I apologise. I doubted. and uh, I, w- I was wrong. Tofu, yes. So uh, last week I revealed how the Holy Spirit was the power uh, through which uh, the Holy Spirit spoke through God and created order out of chaos, or as uh, um, Nathan commented, tohu vavohu, uh, which is nothing to do with the dreaded tofu beast, um, if you know your Larson cartoons. Um, and uh, so we, we, we also got to find out how the, the breath of God, what was, the, what was the word for that? That was, that was a bit harder than tofu. Ruach. Yes, we had to wear COVID masks to say that because uh, we have to spit slightly into our mouths. Um, And we discovered how the breath of God is the animating force for every living thing on earth. And we also looked at how the Old Testament worldview is quite different from ours and how the intent and purpose of the Old Testament writers is a product of their worldview and definitely not of ours. And we we showed how um, their picture of the universe was considerably smaller than ours, and that their understanding and relationship with the Spirit of God is based on their observations of how the Holy Spirit interacted with the people of God during this time. And so this morning, I actually want us to look at the three main activities that the Holy Spirit was seen to undertake uh, during the Old Testament. And the first one of these we've actually dealt with a bit is that the, the Holy Spirit is involved in creating and sustaining all of life. Um, The Holy Spirit was there, as we talked about last week, as part of the creation process. We did that little experiment where I I got you to breathe in and then say say hello without breathing out and you all turn blue. Um, And so we we know that life was breathed into being by the power of the Holy Spirit during uh, Genesis. Now, the second activity, which is a really exciting one, is where... God's Spirit empowers people for specific tasks. And so we're going to talk a bit about that this morning. And the third activity is when God's Spirit actually begins to recreate the world and humanity, which preempts the arrival of somebody we've just sung about. So, the Messiah. Hey, who's, who's out? Attendance? Evict that man. <laughs> now, these are all uh, major themes in the Old Testament. And... Uh, uh, just so that I, I can um, see my notes. Um, it's up there, but for some reason it's stuck on a screen I don't have here. Can I hand that to you? I'll add lib for a bit. Um, we're actually going to talk about the meaning of God's spirit. Now, who remembers last time we talked about this whole idea that, that the ruach of God was a, was a metaphor for three things. It was the spirit, it was breath, and it was wind. When we say wind, I mean the four winds, not the sort after a large Italian meal. Um, So we saw that from an ancient Hebrew point of view, and don't forget, we're here, uh, you're sitting there in your animal skins with no knowledge of the universe beyond the, the ground in front of you and the dome of the heavens above you. You've never heard of the Big Bang Theory. You've never watched it either. Um, you, your your worldview, from our point of view, is very, very narrow. 
but you, you're operating on what you can see and what you can observe and what you know of God. And so we know that from uh, the Old Testament viewpoint, cre- uh, Genesis is talking about the creation of order out of chaos rather than something out of nothing. And that everything that lives in this world is infused with the power of God's breath or ruach. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and so these metaphors of spirit, breath and wind are used constantly in the description of God's good world throughout the Old Testament. And we even see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that life is brought to mankind through this very breath. Uh, Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Now, I don't know about you. It could be that my theology was always a little bit stuffed up. But I always thought that this God-breathing breath into mankind was actually what made us special. It what made us separate from the animals. Um, but the implication here is that the, the breath that God breathes into mankind to bring life is exactly the same breath that is breathed into the rest of creation. It is that part of God's spirit that we get on loan. I think last week I referred to it as like eternal batteries. When we're born, God plugs in a set of batteries and when we die, he takes them back. And uh, th- that's sort of, it's like the, I mean, I don't want to go too much into comparing it to Star Wars, but it's a bit like the force in a way that we all have an animating life force. Every, every living thing on the planet, trees, animals, rabbits, lions, tigers, mankind, we all have the force of creation. When God's spirit hovered over the waters and God spoke life, he spoke that life force into everything. And that is that, is that energizing force that God breathed into us. And some of you are probably thinking, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. What do we have there that makes us different? How are we given the community, the, the ability rather to communicate with God? What is it that enables us to have free will? What part of us goes to heaven when we die? Anybody asking any of these questions or did I just make them up? No, nobody's asking. Okay, let's, we'll stop now then. So, okay, while everyone has alive, has the breath of God, has God's energizing spirit keeping them alive, there's another biblical concept that man has his own spirit, his own ruach. Now, I want to introduce this slightly differently. Who's ever seen the movie The In- Invention of Lying? Yes, some people have good. Well, it's, 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 set in, it's, it's, it's a comedy. Uh, it's set in a world in which everyone tells the blunt, plain truth all the time. There is no concept of deception, dissembling, or anything like that. Um, Everybody just tells everybody else the truth flat out because they don't know any different. And there's a key scene in the movie where the main character actually learns to state something that isn't true. Let's just watch what happens when he does that. What can I do for you today, sir? Just been evicted from my apartment. So I have to withdraw whatever I've got in my account to move my things out. I think I have to close my account. Probably going to be homeless. Mark Bellison. Unfortunately, sir, the system is down right now, so I'm not going to be able to perform an account closure until it's back up. But I can help you with a withdrawal. How much would you like to withdraw today? All of it, whatever's left. The system is down, sir. Can you tell me how much is in your account?
$800. Pardon me? I have $800 in my account. Oh, the system just came back up. The system seems to be back up, guys. Thank you. Just a second while I access your account. You said you're withdrawing $800, correct? Wait a second. It says here that you only have $300 in your account, but you said you wanted to withdraw $800? Yeah, I... Uh, I apologize, sir. It seems our system has made a mistake. Let's get you your $800. Did you want large bills or small? Bills. It's large. All right, here you go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800. Is there anything else I can do for you today, sir? Ah. Sorry for the inconvenience. Most please. Why did I use this clip to illustrate the idea of the human spirit? Well, you know how we learnt that uh, Roch has three meanings? Well, I'm about to introduce a fourth. <laughs> and this is the last one, I promise. But the, the last nuance of the word spirit is to talk about the human mindset or intellectual consciousness or purpose. In other words, when, we re when the Old Testament refers to the human spirit, it's talking about our mind. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, why didn't they just use the word mind or brain? <coughs> Excuse me. It's actually a good reason for that. They actually did not have the concept of a mind. There is no reference in the Old Testament to the brain or the mind. The words simply do not exist. Now, I'm sure that modern Hebrew has developed these concepts and words for them, but the Old Testament authors had not. Uh, there is also, of course, a word for mind in the Greek, but we'll talk about that in the coming weeks when we talk about the New Testament. So I shall leave you in the dark about this for the moment. But the Old Testament author's description of human behaviour revolves around two things. The first one is the heart. You've, heard, you've seen, you know, the Bible talks about a man's heart a lot. And your heart is your feelings, your will and your emotions. And then they talk about your spirit or your ruach, which is your mindset or your purpose. Now, there's a bit of overlap between the two, but that's the basic distinction. So let me ask you, what was the first action Ricky Gervais took in this movie when his brain realised that it could actually state something that was not so? What did he do? What was the first act of a mind-blown free person? He carried out an act of deception. Now, who, who does that remind you of? What did Adam and Eve do as soon as they gained the knowledge of good and evil in the garden by eating that apple? The first thing they did was try to deceive God. Now, unlike the unfortunate teller in the bank there, God was not deceived. Um, but th this, this whole idea of deception and man's spirit is addressed in a number of scriptures, particularly in Psalm 32, where it actually says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit, or ruach, there is no deceit. Now, if we're talking about the animating spirit of life, we know that our animating life force can't have deceit in it. It's just there. It's a force. 
And so what we're talking about here is an invisible mindset or a frame of mind which can propose deceit. Now, where, where's deceit? Can I, can I touch it? It's invisible. <laughs> Not deceit. <laughs> there's always one. <laughs> well, I just my luck, there's a couple. Um, so it's a series of thoughts and ideas in my mind. And, and try as you like, you can actually see when I'm, I'm ideering or ide- ideating or whatever's going on in here. You guys can't see that. Thinking, Thinking there's a good word. Um, and it's interesting, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Now you might think, well, anger's an emotion. Shouldn't that be... Um, don't be quickly provoked in your heart. But it's, it's actually not the emotion we're talking about here. And this is where the, the whole uh, story of Cain and Abel uh, comes into focus. It's not about the emotion, but rather the frame of mind that, that that emotion puts us in and the action that we might take as a consequence of having that emotion. And that's our spirit. Our spirit actually is deter- determines the actions we take based on what we're thinking in our mind. And whereas we'd point to our head and our brain, because we know that that's where it resides. In the Old Testament, they'd have said that that was was our spirit. That was man's spirit. And so it really really sort of the rubber meets the road in Psalm 51, uh, which is a a psalm uh, of David, where David has recognised that he's made an almighty train wreck of his life. He has come to a place where he realises he's had an affair with Bathsheba. He's lied. He's, he's corrupted his kingship. He has he's basically got himself into a really, really nasty place. And he cries out to God in anguish and in, and in panic in verse 10 of Psalm 51. And he cries out to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so we can see here that King David has recognised that he needs a complete makeover. He needs to be rebuilt from the ground up and his relationships changed. He needs his will and his emotions readjusted because he's let his desires ruin his life. But he also recognises he's lost his way, he's lost his purpose and he begs God to renew his spirit or to renew his mind. Sound familiar to anyone? And so he, he actually has understood that his emotions have got him into trouble and he asked God to refresh his heart. But he also recognises that his spirit, his purpose, his, his mind has been corrupted and contaminated. And so he begs God to renew his mind. He actually wants to be able to think differently, act differently, to realign his purpose with the purpose of God because he has been anointed king of Israel and he is far from king at this present time. So he, he desperately needs his mind renewed. And so now we've, hopefully we've got this idea that our spirit, our best word to describe that is our mind and our purpose uh, or our mindset. And so, now having got that settled, we notice David says one more interesting thing here, which leads us into the second way that the Holy Spirit acts in the Old Testament. 
And that's where God's Spirit empowered people for specific tasks. David says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So what's the deal with that? And this is where the idea of God's Spirit and the human spirit starting to relate to each other comes from. Because what flows out of this is that God's Spirit can enter into humans and influence them and empower them. And so from an Old Testament worldview, even though I'm already being empowered by God's breath, we've got that breath, that spark of life in us, we have our own mind or ruach, and God can influence my mind with his Holy Spirit. Make sense? Speak to me afterwards if it doesn't. Now, the other thing, remember, you're still dressed in your animal skins and the dome of stars, you know, the earth. Um, and so the, whole, the idea that we can have the Holy Spirit doesn't exist yet. Very few people in the Old Testament were actually filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. Uh, any guesses as to the first person? Had a coat, many colours, Joseph. Um, Joseph is actually the first reference to somebody being filled with the Spirit of God. In Genesis 41, he interprets Pharaoh's strange pizza dreams. Um, and when he comes to Pharaoh and interprets them, even Pharaoh recognises what's in him. Uh, 41.37 says, Joseph's suggestions were well, well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And so he was filled with the Spirit of God to actually rescue Israel. I mean, he rescued Egypt at the same time, but it was the, the purpose was to actually make sure that um, his family was not affected by the famine. And so the second person who was affected, filled by the Spirit, any, any ideas on his name? I'll give you a free coffee if you can guess this one. Uh, three syllables starts with B. What was that? Close. His name was Bezalel. Everybody's heard of Bezalel? And if not, you should have, because he was extremely important. Exodus 31 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. So you've obviously heard in the New Testament of the uh, spiritual gift of crafts. <laughs> Don't laugh, it's there. Because this guy was given spiritual ability in the arts because he was, he was chosen by God to build the tabernacle. This is the guy, Bezalel is the guy who designed the Ark of the Covenant. Now I've only ever, I don't know whether they consulted him when they made Raiders of the Lost Ark, but from, even from that perspective, he did a pretty good job. He did you know, the table for the showbread, the candles, all of those sort of things. God actually filled him with his spirit to enable him to actually have all manner of skill and knowledge and wisdom to create beauty and order out of raw materials. And so he, he was basically the Michelangelo of that day. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have any great spiritual gifts. I'm a bit of a creative person. Do not, 
Do not doubt that the Holy Spirit can fall on you to, to enhance and empower your creativity. It's not just people going and rescuing Israelites and slaying people with swords and things. Yeah, you can paint pictures that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit of God. Of course, I've moved slightly into New Testament talk here because people didn't think like that back then. But for specific tasks, God's Spirit fell on people. When God's people needed a leader to bring order and justice and wise guidance, you see the Holy Spirit filling people. Joshua, when Israel was getting taken over and beaten by their enemies, he was filled with the Spirit. There's others, Othniel, Yep, of course you all know him. Gideon, yes, you've heard of him. Jephthah, Samson. Now we notice from this list, not all of these people were great moral characters. I'm not sure how Samson made it into the uh, children's uh, heroes books, heroes of the Bible, because Samson was a sex addict. <laughs> he was a narcissistic sex addict. He just couldn't get enough. He did not care two hoots for the laws of the Torah. He did what he wanted, when he wanted, and yet out of a need that Israel had, God filled him with his Holy Spirit. God, God used also Balaam. Ever heard of Balaam? He was a pagan sorcerer. God's Spirit filled him and got him to do things on behalf of Israel. God used a donkey. So just don't get on your high horse about the fact that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit because God can do it to anyone. You just have to be a donkey. So we also begin to see the changes in the metaphors used to describe the Spirit. We're used to seeing the Spirit as breath or wind, but we're introduced to the fact that the Holy Spirit is a liquid because he's poured out. We know that Saul and David, when they're appointed as kings, they get oil poured over their heads as a symbol of commissioning and anointing. And both of these occasions mark the moment where God's Spirit comes upon them to commission them to rule and lead their people. These days we'd probably refer to it as the anointing, which is a really nice religious term which perhaps doesn't tell us much at all about, except the fact that the person who said it has obviously been in church. Um, it, yeah, the, the, a, a better word in a sense is empowering, but that, that sort of is, is a bad word in a way because it makes us feel a bit puffed up. You know, the Holy Spirit has empowered me. Look at my muscles. Uh, it, commissioning is perhaps the best Best way. The anointing is actually a commissioning to do a task that God has called us to do. Uh, the other people who get filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament are, of course, the prophets. God sends His Spirit to influence the biblical prophets. Micah chapter 3, verse 8, He says, As for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. And believe me, he needed justice and strength to do that because he didn't make yourself very popular by wandering around Israel saying, you guys have stuffed it badly. And I'm here to tell you God is not happy with you. And you, know, you wouldn't get a gig in the tavern the next night, would you? Um, and so he needed uh, the Spirit of God to keep him going because he's, you know, the Spirit gave him a divine perspective. Pers perspective? A new, a new Hebrew word. Um, <laughs> divine perspective on Israel's history and the meaning of current events. And then on God's behalf, he calls them out on how they're breaking the covenant. Covenant and also, <laughs> doing really well. Perhaps I should do it all in Hebrew. <laughs> ah, yes, there you go. So there's a whole theme through the Old Testament that God influences humans by his spirit, by connecting himself to their mind to give them a perspective they wouldn't normally have or ideas and insight 
that they wouldn't normally have. And so all of this is laying the groundwork for the work of the Spirit in the ministry of Jesus and the way Paul and the other apostles talk about the Spirit in, like, in that phrase of renewing your mind. And as we look into the New Testament in the next couple of weeks, we'll see how Paul, Paul basically says, if you live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't feel that you don't need to come next week because there's more to it than that. Okay, so the third thing that God's Spirit does in the Old Testament, once Israel and all of humanity, humanity has made a mess of God's world, they've rebelled, made a mess of Israel, the, prophet, the prophets appointed by God's Spirit warn them of their consequences of rebellion and everything's looking bad. He tells the prophets to relent and give them promises of hope that a future ruler would come and bring a future hope to creation and that God's people would one day actually not rebel, but be truly faithful, just like we are today. Amen? Thank you, I'll uh, go home now. Um, but... In all of this, through the prophets, it's God's Spirit bringing about a new act of creation. Right, one of these examples is Isaiah 11, uh, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 9. is one of the coolest messianic prophecies in the whole of the Old Testament. And uh, I'm sure you've heard it, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, hopefully without introducing any new Hebrew words as I go. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You get the feeling the spirit's going to rest on him fairly heavily? He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Sounds as though he's needed in America at the moment. Um, he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteous like, righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand into a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Hey, we have a king coming from the line of David. We're told four times that God's spirit will influence him. Pity we don't know who it is, eh? Every aspect of this king's leadership will be influenced, enhanced and empowered by God's spirit. And so this king will bring about a new creation so radically new the only way we can describe it as something as absurd as a lion and a lamb hanging out together, a bear becoming a total vegetarian, and children playing with cobras. Because in case you hadn't realised it, that's not actually a true picture of what is going to happen. Uh, bears aren't going to turn into vegetarians, and uh, children shouldn't be, at least not here, possibly in India, playing with cobras. And so at the core of it all, it's brought about and led by a human king who is hyper-influenced and empowered and permeated by God's spirit. And I, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, I know who it is, I know who it is. Shh, don't tell anyone. So I want to leave you with this one thought. The prophet Ezekiel envisaged that the only way that a human is ever going to be fully alive to God and to love God and to love their neighbours 
is if God's spirit recreates them, specifically their heart. And in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, and I will give you, guess what? A new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulation. Now, Ezekiel's a pessimist. He's so pessimistic about the human condition, he's like, scrap the old, you're gonna need brand new humans to make this one work. And Ezekiel's been appointed as the prophet by God's spirit. And the only hope from his prophecy is for God to recreate humans in our own hearts. Which of course leads us to the work of Jesus and the fact that his death and resurrection paved the way for exactly what Ezekiel had prophesied. We can become a new creation by accepting the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives and we can be filled by the Holy Spirit by accepting his gift of salvation. That is the power of the culmination of the prophetic push of the, the Old Testament is to actually to bring us to that point where we recognise that to actually do something different, to change our lives, to be a new creation, we, we have to take on board this whole idea that Jesus wants to do something new in us. He actually wants to do something creation-wise using the same language that we see in Genesis 1 where God's voice rang out and the act of creation began. That same language is used to recreate us. And so we need to come to a recognition, whether we believe in God or whether we're, we're here as unbelievers, that we've never actually considered the idea of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, because we know that we're not, we're not worthy, that we believe that we've done unforgivable things that God couldn't possibly forgive for us. I want to tell you right now that God isn't interested in changing the little things in your life to make you look better, to make you feel better about yourself, to give you the feeling that perhaps you might be holy enough to be in His presence. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross and be resurrected so that He could actually transform our lives by giving us a new heart and putting a new spirit inside of us. It's what we call salvation. And He has paid for this. This is a gift. We don't have to stand in line. We don't have to pay a price. Jesus has done that. And so if you're online right now, if you're, or if you're sitting here in this congregation and you've never taken that opportunity, you've never even perhaps understood that there was an opportunity that you could actually turn to God and say, Give me a makeover. Take away my old heart. Replace it with a new tender heart. Bring your spirit into my life and make me a new creation. Because that's what He promises. And all we have to do is actually take hold of that promise and actually speak it into existence over our lives. Can I ask you just to close your eyes? If you're here this morning, you've never... You've never accepted a new heart and a new spirit from Jesus Christ. But you can see that you need that sort of makeover in your life. You wanna make a difference. You wanna be a different person. You wanna take advantage of the offer that Jesus has for us. If you're online, can I ask you to 
press the, the raised hand button in the chat. If you're here right now, while every eye is closed, I just want you to raise your hand so I can see it. And I'm going to get somebody to come and pray with you to actually energise that moment, to action that promise and actually say to God, look, I give up my old heart, my old flesh, my old spirit. I turn it over to you and I accept the new heart of flesh that you have for me and your Holy Spirit. Is there anyone here who wants to do that? Put your hand up right now so I can see it. And you can start that journey. If you're in the chat, somebody will contact you and show you what the next steps are to take. But let's assume you're here. You've exchanged your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. You can open your eyes now. What's your, what's your next step? I mean, one of, the, one of the great things that I guess we can, we can breathe a sigh of relief of is that we, we don't exist in Old Testament times. Our, our worldview, our knowledge of what God has done for us has expanded amazingly not just because of our science and knowledge and understanding, but actually because of what Jesus has done for us. But I see a lot of people come to a faith in Christ. And the next step is, you know, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? How do, how do, I, how do I live my life expressing the fruits of the Spirit? How do I take advantage of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has for me? And a lot of people I know are, are really, really excited about having the gifts of the Spirit. I've given my life to Jesus and there's a promise there that, that the Holy Spirit will fall on me and that I'll be able to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And I think that's a really great thing to be excited about. I think that's something that uh, every Christian should aim for. To, and this is what Paul talks about, is our spirit being in step with God's Spirit. That as we walk in step with God's Spirit, we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, but we also have that opportunity to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We can prophesy over people. We can lay hands on people and they'll be healed. We can have the spiritual gift of arts and crafts, even though it's not mentioned in the New Testament. Because you know the ones in the New Testament, just a guide. It's not a complete list just in case you thought it was. There's more. It's great with God, there's always more. But you know, the, the one thing that we can take from the Old Testament, our minds might've been blown, we might be able to see the universe in a totally different light. But one lesson I think we need to take from this is that in the Old Testament, God's Spirit fell on people for a purpose. Just because we have easy access to the Holy Spirit now that we live in a New Testament age of grace, doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for our lives. And I want you to think, if I go out of this place today, what is God's purpose for my life? Why would He give me the gifts of the Spirit out in my workplace, in my school, in my home, wherever I am? Why would He bother? Am I doing anything that warrants the Holy Spirit falling on my life? 
We don't want to be the sort of people, yeah, I'm a Christian, I speak in tongues. You see? What for? Just so you can show off? It's there for a purpose. We are all, every single one of us called to God's purpose. The Holy Spirit falls on us, I believe, a fresh, new, exciting with revelation and purpose when we are walking in God's purpose for our life. The easiest way to get the Holy Spirit to fall on you is to get your life in line with God's purpose. Because it's not something to aim for, it's something that happens to you when you're doing what you're called to do. So ask for the gift of prophecy, sure. But before you ask, ask God what your purpose is. Start to walk in your purpose and the gift you need will fall on you. Let me pray for you as I close. Because I I know every single person here under the sound of my voice has a purpose under God. And Lord, I pray that instead of asking for the gift, we ask for the purpose and let the gift fall. I thank you, Lord, that you bring revelation today to everybody here, to what your purpose for them is. Help us open our heart, not be biased or discriminatory in what we want. Let our belief in ourself know no boundaries. Surprise us, encourage us, stretch us, Lord. Give us purposes we may not comprehend right now, but will stretch us and grow us and allow your Holy Spirit to walk alongside us and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen.